How about uh, your therapist starts every sentence with, um, okay, and then they say what they're going to say. <laughs> so you tell them something, mm, um, okay, <laughs> whatever comes next. I'll say not a deal breaker. You are very forgiving as a yeah. client. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it kind of depends, like, if it's after something I've said, yeah, I don't know, shoot, maybe, maybe that would be a deal breaker. You know, if I'm sharing something really vulnerable about myself, and then their very next response is, um, okay, said so just like that. Right. I mean, the tone has, has a lot to do <laughs> with true. it, right? That's true, right? Right, if you just... What if they followed it up I with, realized. like, beautiful <laughs> reflection and summarizing? Yeah, so, see, that's, that's what's different, is, like, it can, like, totally change what that um, okay is about. <laughs> it, it can definitely change it. You can start seeing that as like an endearing phrase versus like a judgmental. Yeah, that's true because it does come across very judgmental. It like, does. Mm, okay, I, I yeah. see. I see what you're what about. What about you, Maddie? I don't know. I think for me, it wouldn't be so much the judgmental as it would just get really annoying after a while. Be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, can you start, start it like differently? Fixating on it that. would. It would. Okay. Either I'd have to bring it up in therapy with them and be like, okay, I'm annoyed when this happens, yeah. or yes. I might have to change because. I don't know. That would just great. That would be distracting. I don't think I would leave therapy for it, but yeah, I would fixate. I know I would fixate on it. And then every time they do it, I would just, I think I would lose out in some therapeutic aspect because I'm so fixated. But Mildly Awkward Podcast, Honest Talks About Young Adulthood, The Messy, The Marvelous, and The Mildly Awkward. I'm your co-host, Corby, and I've got my Freudian slippers on. And I'm your other co-host, Maddie, and here to tell you you should all pause this podcast and go to therapy. I'm Brett Donnelly, and I put the hot in psychotherapy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Uh, This time we are talking about therapy. Brett, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is uh, Dr. Brett Donnelly, and I'm a psychologist, uh, licensed in both California and Minnesota right now. I, uh, myself and another co-owner, we uh, created Acacia Counseling and Wellness about three years ago, really trying to support the uh, college student population. There's uh, quite a excessive demand and uh, for mental health services on college campuses across the country, and uh, sometimes not enough supply to be able to you know, kind of handle the demand. And uh, myself and uh, my partner, we, we both really enjoyed working with college students, thought that it was a group that just really inspired us and uh, wanted to provide some outpatient therapy services, some, uh, you know, wellness services, yoga, et cetera, uh, to try to, you know, really help col- college students get through what can sometimes be a difficult, you know, four or five years, two years, whatever it might be. Um, and sort of be there as a support system. So we, uh, we started out in Isla Vista, California, uh, right next to UC Santa Barbara. Uh, we have an office out there. And then since we've uh, added offices at UC Davis as well as um, University of Minnesota. Wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. That was our most legit intro, too. I know. <laughs> We've transitioned, I think, into having actual experts on this podcast. Yeah. Rather than just We're people we find. We're sellouts. We're sellouts. <laughs> So how long have you been doing therapy? 
because you opened three years ago, but... Yeah, well, uh, I, I mean, I started going to graduate school in 2008, um, so I think I've been doing some form of therapy since maybe 2009. Uh, you know, a lot of the, those years were training years, uh, working under a licensed supervisor. And then, you know, for my uh, internship and postdoc, uh, which were both done at the University of California, Santa Barbara, um, those were probably my most intense, you know, therapy-intense years, where I got to see quite a quite a sort of wide range and uh of, of clients but then you know being licensed and on my own only only three years so I'm you know still a pretty young clinician yeah so having seen clients in California as well as here in Minnesota do you see any difference kind of between the types of clients you see or maybe yeah. the the personalities that they bring um so you know one of the unfortunate parts about coming here and as the business has been growing is I've been much more sort of in an administrative role than a therapeutic role so I've only seen you know a couple of clients here in Minnesota so far um I have been really um pleasantly surprised that you know I think one of my stereotypes going into it was you know you come to the Midwest and maybe people don't access therapy or treatment as often and, and sure. perhaps there's some truth to that I don't know I haven't really you know seen any data on that but um, you know I think since coming here uh, I've noticed that students have been really receptive to getting care uh, certainly there's a lot of outreach here at the U um, and you know we're seeing a lot of referrals come in our way so it's really nice to see that people are uh, you know accessing treatment more and more I, I think it's something that um, has been incredibly helpful in my life and will continue to be a part of my life moving forward and you know I think that um, you know, students, whether it's from California or from Minnesota, that they're doing a pretty good job of accessing health care uh, and, and particularly mental health care. Um, I will add, too, that um, in California, I mean, stuff is a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of hippie out there. So, um, you know, they, they really, I think, get into some of the more like holistic treatments, oh, sure. uh, yeah. yoga, mindfulness, meditation, things like that. So that's kind of cool. A little yeah. bit of a difference. So I think um, people here might say, I just want some therapy. I don't really care about all the hippy dippy stuff. <laughs> you try to bring the wellness a little bit more. Yeah. You know, one, I, I should also say one of the things that I've noticed here is that there's a lot of a lot more focus on, you know, sort of. Um, empirical scientific you know uh scientifically empirical approaches to therapy um which is great but i will say i think you know in california it's a, it's a little bit more loose and there's it's just kind of like can i find a human being who's authentic who can you know sit with me through um just some shitty problems and life stages transitions um here it's a little bit a little bit more um hardcore sciencey so <laughs> That's interesting to hear, because I think, I mean, for me at least, a lot of what makes therapy really effective is just having that human being on the other side willing to connect with you. And, like, it is somewhat empirically supported that, like, the therapeutic relationship is so huge, but, yeah, um, yeah that's interesting that that's the difference. Something I was thinking about in the car ride over here, because I didn't know exactly what I would be asked, but <laughs> I knew it was going to be about, you know, obviously therapy and science, and I was really thinking a lot about, you know, how therapy is, is both an art and a science, and... Wow, interesting. So, well, that makes actually leads me to another question. What is your theoretical orientation? Yeah, so um, I I really like working from a relational psychodynamic perspective. So, for those listeners who might not know, you know, a whole lot about what what mm -hmm. that means, uh, you know, I, I like to look a lot at the past, at um, attachments growing up. So, you know, attachments to your to your mother, to your father, to your siblings. What what was life like as a as a child? Because I think we oftentimes can form coping mechanisms when we're at that age to help us deal with certain life stressors. And, 
you know, one of the, one of the things that I've noticed working with college students is that when they come to a new space and they're starting to develop a different part of themselves, exploring what made them who they are today and, and kind of having a having a reason to maybe sometimes feel anxious or to feel sad, like provide some legitimacy and some oh, normalization. Sure, like you're not crazy or you're not just unraveling. Like there's roots that yeah. go back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're both very clearly products of growing up in the Midwest and being like, "Mm, where's your evidence for that? Right, right. Give me CBT. Right. Well, well, right now I'm training in DBT, so I'm like, Uh all this, you know, research and stuff, so. Well, I think it's interesting because, I mean, I I don't know, I've always come from the perspective that regardless of your theoretical orientation, you you know, you're, you're still working towards the same goal. And a lot of times we just call it different things, right? So something that is, uh, you know, termed one one thing in, in let's say CBT it just talked about in a different way um, with you know psychoanalytic psychodynamic theory so like as a client if you were to tell a client how important do you think it is to know the theoretical orientation of your therapist mm. or to like know that while you're trying to choose a therapist yeah you know I think that most clients you know that they don't necessarily understand even what that means you know what it means to have a cbt therapist what it means to have a psychodynamic therapist i also think that each therapist is going to operate differently within those you know within those orientations so my my biggest thing for clients is always find a client that fits that gets you that you feel safe with find a therapist that fits yeah yeah be, yeah i don't know I, i've i've never been a huge fan of of really trying to nail down like oh this therapist is cbt and i can only go to a cbt therapist oh sure um, yeah i th- i mean i've had people that have come and said oh yeah i did that and it didn't work out i i think best fit is what's most important just finding someone that you feel connected with and can talk to because at the end of the day it's like if you don't feel comfortable with them in the room doesn't matter what kind of right technique they're using it's like are you really going to get anything right. out of it besides maybe like oh i can take some of these lessons home but yeah. are you really you know you don't want to be friends with people yeah on the outside that you're not really friends with but you know you're not going to get anything from that dialogue so yeah absolutely and I think kind of having a conversation with a therapist about their their own approach and letting them sort of speak to you directly about their approach is important. So if you're someone who doesn't want homework, well, I'm probably a good person to go to because I don't give out a whole lot of homework. <laughs> it's probably good for working with a student population. It, yeah. One less thing to, you know, take home and work on. That's exactly what I've always thought is, you know, but, but you'd be surprised. I mean, some students really want that. They want to go home and they want to have a book to read and they want to, you know, have worksheets and... If so, I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly I'm willing to be flexible and try to provide that to them. But ultimately, I think they'd be better suited with a sort of more structured therapist. So what are some of the best parts about being a therapist? And on the flip side, what are the worst? Gosh, you know, growing up, one of the things that I I knew pretty quickly about myself is that I really enjoyed talking and listening with people. I never wanted a job where I was behind a computer, um which is kind of funny because now reflecting on my own work, I spend quite a lot of time behind the computer. Um, but I wanted a job that I could really relate with other people. It's always something that has been important to me. So, you know, I think uh, I think one of the best parts about being a therapist is just you're given this opportunity to step in some, into someone's life during perhaps one of the most vulnerable moments of their of their life. And what a special what a special place to be someone of influence and at that point, um, or to be someone that they can just, just have, have their voices heard, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe not work, huge. yeah, work on, on fixing something. Maybe they do, maybe they do want something fixed, but just to sit there and know that there's someone across from them that has their back. 
Uh, and to be that person feels really good. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. I really like hearing you say that too, because I think probably there are some listeners who haven't you know, gone to therapy ever or stuff like that and who might, you know, hear that and be yeah. a little more apt to all seven of you listening out there. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> um, Thanks for coming back. <laughs> uh, so when you tell people in your life or like that you meet that you're a therapist, yeah. um, what kind of reactions do you typically get? Oh my gosh, I get some of the worst <laughs> reactions. <laughs> One of my least favorite ones that I've gotten is like, oh, so are you reading my mind right now? Oh my gosh. I can imagine so. I'm like, you, yes. Are you analyzing me? You're I'm like, like sorry, it's, it's psychologist, not psychic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, what I usually do is I say, yes, I am, and you are very troubled. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I get a lot of that. Um, I get a lot of like, oh, are you analyzing me right now? And it's really funny because, you know, I, I try not to really bring that home with me, you know. Um, but at the same time, aren't we like always kind of analyzing who we're That's a good point, with? actually. <laughs> and just kind of own it and be like, yes, aren't you? Right, <laughs> right. right. I've already gotten that when I just tell people I'm in graduate school. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. Are you kidding me? Like, I yeah. can't analyze you. Yeah. I also get like, oh, so you're a psychologist? Like, does that mean you can prescribe medicine? Or is it a lot of confusion between a psychiatrist who that. prescribes medicine and a psychologist? Because psychiatrists go to like medical school, right? They're That's MDs. right. Okay. That's right. And there are actually a few states now that where psychologists can prescribe medication. So that is changing, uh, I think, because we're seeing uh, such a high demand and, and lack of supply for psychiatrists. So a lot of states are. I, I was going to also answer, Corby, one of the least favorite parts of being a psychologist. Um, well, first of all, I, I, like most therapists, I hate doing notes, you know, documenting the session. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, you know, I think it's a very emotionally exhausting process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that, you know, you have to be careful to set boundaries, uh, set boundaries for yourself when you're meeting with somebody because you want so badly to help them and you want so badly to be there for them. You've got to be able to say, okay, you know, we, we have this, this 50 minutes or this 53 minutes or whatever it might be in front of you. And what we're going to try to accomplish as much as we can in this time frame. But after this is done, I need to go on and I need to live my life, you know, right. And that's really challenging because we worry about our clients. They, yeah. they, they do come with us whether we like it or not. And that's, that's exhausting. Yeah. It's, to me, it's almost like a little bit counterintuitive to think about too because you think, I want to be an empathetic person and I want to be a helper. Mm-hmm. And that feels like something that means you should carry them with you all the time. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, you're not going to be very effective yeah. if you're getting so burned out you know, so quickly. Yeah. And, and adding that on top of the people in, in you know, our lives that we do need to be there for outside of work, like, my wife, my, you know, brothers, um, people who, you know, want, want my support, my, my good friends, you know, and, and, and vice versa and, and trying to make sure that we have enough in the tank to like mm-hmm. be able to help them as well and have some self care too. Right. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. for sure. So it's, it's got me thinking like, what are your views on online therapy or over the phone mm-hmm. or even like video therapy? Yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Sure. Well, you know, video therapy is something that Acacia office offer, offers to. Oh, um, does it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's about to say that's a terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I think again, it's everyone's different in their approach to to therapy. You know, I, I think that there might be people out there that feel so incredibly socially anxious about you know getting to a doctor's office to to coming to a mental health clinic. Um, that video therapy can be just absolutely huge for them. Uh, you know, where else are they going to get support if they're so mm-hmm. afraid to, you know, walk in and, and make 
eye contact with somebody in, in the here and now or whatever it might be. Um, so I think there's some people that can really benefit from that. You know, obviously with students that we work with uh, at Acacia, um, breaks become really challenging because mm. often... Oh, because they're going home over January and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so both, I think the, the two biggest ones are, you know, s- summer and, and winter breaks. And, you know, particularly when you think about winter breaks, there's the holidays, and a lot of times that brings up a lot of stuff for family. You know, family can be really triggering for a lot of students and well, for actually, for a lot of us, period. I, <laughs> I don't think that's just students, man. Yeah, it's definitely not limited <laughs> yeah. to students. Um, but, you know, so so to be able to to provide care and, and sort of have that continuity of, of, of care with their therapist, someone that they know, that they trust, that they, you know, they don't want to switch therapists in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. And so I think offering that is just absolutely huge. Um, now, with that said, I still would always prefer as a client myself. Okay. I I don't want to do video therapy in my sessions as a client. I, I want to go and see a therapist face to face. Right. Be in the room. There is something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know there's a lot of online resources for either like modules or things like that, that you can do therapy on. I could not do it. I I need to be in person. I feel like I'm just lacking that connection, but it's great to have those resources because you do have those people that maybe just need or just only have like 10 minutes in their day and they go online, they can get these quick Right, or people who are living or... somewhere where there's no access or yeah. yes. are dealing with some agoraphobia or something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. So are you current? I don't know if it's too personal of a question, but like are you currently in therapy for yourself? Um, not currently. Um, I've done some couples work this year. And, and by the way, yeah, I, I actually really like answering. I know there's a lot of people out there that don't want to talk about their own therapy experiences, but I really like it because I, I really want to normalize it for other people. And so how's your childhood, Brent? <laughs> oh my gosh. Are, are We're not my, doing therapy right now. Is, my, <laughs> is my mom and dad listening to this? Are, are they, are they? <laughs> oh no, we should have signed some forms before know, we started. Right? <laughs> oh no. We just talked about this. <laughs> no, I think it's, um, no, it's a really good point though you say about like, you know, normalizing a little bit more. Like, yeah. I know for myself, I started going to therapy after a good friend of mine talked about going to therapy and I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 No, I, I, and like I said before, honestly, if it weren't for my insurance and I, I know that I would be in, in therapy um, right now, but I, you know, chose a plan with a super high deductible and I, you know, need to spend my, my money in other places right now. Um, but, uh, but the couple's work was really great. Uh, you know, my, my wife and I have had a lot of transitions coming to Minnesota. Uh, you know, anytime you have a, a move in location and, and you're, you know, taking on new jobs and uh, we got a new puppy, which has been wonderful, mm-hmm. but also, you know, challenging and stressful at times. And what ultimately brought us out here was, you know, some family health issues. And so, you know, trying to like work through all those things as a couple, I think, is challenging. And sometimes when, when we feel stress, even if it's something that's going on in our individual lives, not having anything to do with the, your partner, you know, it's really good to separate that and, and make sure that you're not taking it out on your partner. Um, so her and I really value, I think having a, a, I don't know, just an intimate, close relationship and wanting to make sure that we are where we want to be, uh, with that. And therapy is a piece of and therapy is, oh my gosh, it's been a huge, a tremendous help. Yeah. Do you think that like all therapists or most therapists should be in some sort of, or should at some point seek therapy themselves? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh wow. Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think if you're going to be a therapist yourself, you better go get your own therapist. I mean, you have to see things from the client perspective. You have to know how hard it is to open up your heart and soul to somebody else and to see what 
therapists make that easier or or harder right because then then you're going to know what it's like to to be a client and be on that side and and also you know a therapist doesn't exist in a vacuum so when you're when you're sitting with someone across from you your own life experiences your own biases those are all coming into the room with you you know, and you're making certain judgments, whether they're judgments that are um, conscious or unconscious about the person sitting across from you. So, you know, one of the things I think therapy can really help with as a from a therapist perspective is understanding what those are, understanding how we might treat someone different based on gender, sexuality, uh, race, whatever it might be. You know, you can't expect yourself as a therapist to not have any biases oh to be gosh. like a 100 percent blank slate. Right? Yeah, that person doesn't well. that person doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mildly Awkward fans, it's almost Halloween. To celebrate, we want to hear your spooky stories and your wild Halloween lore. Write us at mildlyawkwardpodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. And you might just hear your story featured on our Halloween episode. Because of your more interpersonal and relational style with a therapist or with a client, have you ever had like a really extreme reaction to that? Yes. Like someone, really? Yes. Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah okay. for sure. For sure. Yeah. So... The very, the very tricky part about, I think, doing anything interpersonal with a client is timing. So that client, you can't just like start off and be in like first session, like, oh, tell me what that's like to, to say that to a heterosexual white male or, you know, whatever. Right. It's just, that can be, that can be a little bit intense and the person really needs to feel a sense of safety, um, to be able to talk about, uh, various issues. I mean, let's take, let's take one of the ones that's probably most difficult, but comes, enters into therapy a lot, which is sexual transference. Mm -hmm. So someone who has an attraction towards the therapist, or maybe if we're talking about counter transference, the therapist has a sexual attraction towards the client. Now, traditionally you, you, you probably wouldn't talk about the counter transference with the client. You go and talk about that with someone else, with a, a coworker. That would be a, <laughs> yeah, that would be a little, a little Let's awkward. Let's talk about how I feel about yes, you. Yes. But, you know, with the transference, um, that's something that you can ask clients about. And that's something that I, I have asked clients about in the past um, because I felt like it was, it was getting into the, the therapeutic space. It was, it, was an, it was another thing outside of what their goal was to be there that was interfering with them getting to the goal. And so, and, and there's been, there was one time when I struck out on that where I, I said, you know, this client had, had been telling me sort of how her relationships with men are, are always sexualized and um, how that's, you know, been difficult for her. And, and so, you know, I said, well, I'm a man. And do, so do you sexualize me? And it was very, uh, it was a very hard question to ask because obviously it's like I can't imagine like just asking that of someone. Oh yeah. gosh, what did the client say? Well, she denied it and denied it very, very hard. It was it was a hard denial, um, which makes me wonder if if there was something there or not. But but she also stopped coming to therapy after that. Oh no! And it broke oh. my heart. I um, you know, I I I didn't mean to make her that uncomfortable. Uh, she, I'd, I'd been with her right. for quite a while. So I thought that maybe I could take that risk and go there with her. Right. Cause I feel like a lot of really good therapy happens when there's some discomfort in there. Right. Like when, I yes. mean, I'm speaking about this more from a point of view of a client cause I've done that yeah. more than I've been a therapist, but yeah. Well, it's the U curve, right? Like, so if you have too little discomfort, you're, you're probably not doing a lot of great work in therapy. And if you have also have too much discomfort, 
that's not going to get you anywhere either. We call that the bell curve here in Minnesota. Yes. By yes. The way. yes. <laughs> yeah. I should no, say the fancy Californians. It's upside down. You know, it's all very whatever. Well, I actually, I, yeah, I actually named it the wrong thing too. We, so I was reading a book by Malcolm Gladwell, and he calls it the inverse U curve. So. Okay, but anyways, yeah, so it's like finding that sweet spot and, and I, I misjudged that moment and, but it's hard to know, you know, you got to take risks as a therapist and you got to take For risks sure. as a client and, um, yeah. So one recommendation I would have to anyone who's listening when they go into their own therapy is, you know, communicate with your therapist about what you, what you want or what you feel like you're not getting or, or what you want more of. Um, you know, hopefully the therapist is checking in with you about that, but at the same time, like be vocal and, and be assertive and, and let them know what you're wanting more of yeah. or less of. Do you ever have people who come into therapy and talk about how they don't think they should be in therapy or th- say, do you think I messed up enough? Or like, just, oh, I don't know if I should be here sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have two, two thoughts. One, one thought that I had is there was this one young man who was, I think, 18. He was a freshman at UCSB and came to counseling because basically because his parents told him to and he hated me oh, no. <laughs> he, i was i was trying with every inch of me i was trying to to give to this to the student to say like hey i'm here for you like i understand yeah it sucks to be in therapy i was trying to just validate validate but he just hated it like I, every time i would you know reach in my toolbox and validate and normalize he would just like act out even more and just you know oh, no. he, and and so one of the things I realized from that though is like you can't make someone go to therapy like they have to want to be there they have to want to to share things and and to explore changing and yeah it's about you wanting to come and and explore yourself with someone else or for you to talk about um, you know what's going on in your life and and that's what usually when I you know might self disclose and talk about like you know even therapists get therapy yeah um, it doesn't have to be something where you're where people say, oh, well, I don't have a diagnosed mental illness, so I shouldn't go to therapy or stuff like that. Like, yeah. That's a good, yeah. good reframe for everyone to keep in mind, I think. And one of the things I always tell people is I've never, and this is honest to God, this is true, um, I have never met a client that I thought was crazy. Mm-hmm. Every single client that I've ever seen, I mean, I've certainly had a lot of challenging clients, absolutely, but they, they've all had a story that's made sense as to why they behave the way they do or why they feel the way they do or why they think the way they do. Yeah. And, and if you can find that, it's so powerful. Um, it's, it's so powerful for a client to feel understood. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, this is why I feel this way. This is why I do X, Y, or Z. Special thanks to Steve Higgins for composing our theme song. Find him on Facebook at Steve Higgins Music and follow him on Instagram at steve.higgins. So how do you feel about therapy animals? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I personally love them. Um, <laughs> we, uh, for, for the listeners out there, we have a, a therapy dog here at Acacia, Coda, who's uh, my wife and I's... He's so cute. He's, he's a little bitey right now, but he's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was last time I saw him. He's still oh, a puppy. He's still very is. bitey. Yeah, he still is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, and this is this is something that we see particularly again in student communities is if you you know if you go and attend um, an event that's held on campus like a, a wellness event and, and they have therapy dogs they're usually the most popular draw oh for sure yeah absolutely I mean who doesn't love pu- like petting a you know 
gorgeous puppy or whatever it might be. Maybe people who are allergic. Yes. I'm just throwing that one out there. Yeah. They <laughs> might not really love it. They might want yes. to. Yeah. <laughs> they might stand from a distance and say, I wish I was petting that dog. Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to organize events as well for like mental health stuff on campus, and like if you brought dogs, like just guaranteed hit it mm-hmm. out of the park. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a big. It's usually a big home run, but you know you do. Yeah, you do get your people in there though that maybe dogs just isn't their thing, or they're allergic or whatever. And then yeah, we just kind of keep those the the pups out of the the therapy room with them. But uh, you know, I think if you're someone who yeah, like let's say you have depression or anxiety, you know, sometimes just having that animal there that like loves you unconditionally or that you can just, I don't know, pet and have someone have something to connect with you. You know, some, sometimes we're just, we have a lot of loneliness sometimes in, in our, in our culture, you know, uh, and sometimes just having that connection, you know, with, with someone, uh, whether it be a, a human being or, or an animal, um, that connection can, can lead to powerful things. So do you ever have then sessions where Coda is in the therapy session with you and like with the client, like yeah. sitting beside them or something or, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is, you know, he's still a puppy. So <laughs> this is something that's been challenging, um, here at Acacia so far because he just wants to like move around a lot. And so sometimes that can be a little bit distracting. So there are times where even if the client really loves having him in there, you know, maybe I can't, I can't really think as well as I need to. I get distracted or maybe the, it takes away from the client's, I don't know, emotional expression or whatever it might be. And so sometimes, you know, it doesn't, doesn't work out. But ideally when he gets a little bit older, um, you know, he'll be able to either, you know, sit next to them on the couch or sit down by their feet or engage in a way that um, is non-distracting and, and feels helpful. Have you ever had any aha moments or inspiring moments from, from your sessions? Oh my gosh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you ever just like walked away and been like, that was fantastic. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Those are the moments that we live for as therapists um, because, you know, I don't, you know, we're not, necessarily getting awards for the work that we're right. doing or anything so it's like when we can have these sessions where it's just either either it's like blatantly clear to us that that there's been a moment of insight or um that there's a a, a shift a, a moment of change in someone's life that you can just feel is for the better um or when it's just reflected back to us sometimes it's it's a surprise like sometimes i thought that this the session was just shitty and then someone will like say uh, that was like amazing and i'm like oh really i thought i, I thought i was just doing a terrible job i yeah. love some part there yeah. <laughs> it's so attractive do nothing no. <laughs> it's it's super funny though because as a as a clinician i mean yeah of course we check in with our clients but it's not like we do it all the time you know we can't right. we can't every two minutes being like so how am i doing how am i doing you know right. and you got to have a little bit of security in yourself as a counselor to to feel like you're doing something something right um but when when they do tell you you're doing something right it just that that feels really yeah really special and or get get a card or get a letter or a shout out in a newspaper article or whatever it might be it's it's pretty cool man this is like a completely selfish question because it's something i'm also dealing with right now but like what was how was the process for you of like building your confidence as a therapist where you say like Um, yeah you can't ask for validation from your clients all the time how do you like have that confidence within yourself good question I mean <laughs> some of that just goes like straight to like the heart of the counselor and like I mean this is where again like getting your own therapy can be really useful because you know some some of that's just very personal right like how do you approach new problems 
or how do you form your identity, whether it's your identity as a counselor or, you know, uh, I don't know, a romantic partner or a friend or whatever, and how do you feel confident in those things? So I think there's that individual piece, but, you know, thinking of it from more of a professional piece, I think this is where really good supervision and really good consultation comes in handy. Um, I think, like, talk a lot with your peer group. Um, it, I mean, one of the really awesome things about the program that you all are doing and, and similar programs across the country is you have you know, you have this cohort that's all going through it together mm-hmm. and, and you all don't know what's going on. And, and that, that sometimes that doesn't change too. Sometimes you could be a therapist with probably 30 years experience, um, and, and still sometimes have no idea what you're doing in the room. <laughs> like you might question, I mean, I shouldn't yeah. say no idea, but you know, like you, you're really going to question yourself and mm-hmm. I can't speak as, as that experience of the therapist, but I can just say after, you know, doing therapy for, pretty steady for five years that there's sometimes that where I question myself and that that's okay that you're not always I think if you feel like that you don't need to be just on it all the time 100% like I'm super confident in everything I'm doing sort of thing Uh, yeah I think if you I think if you do feel that that could be kind of a detriment to you because again like how do you grow and change with each person that comes into the room you know if you just feel like 100% confident in, in your role I I don't know if that's always a, a good thing. Um, I think you, you ought to be questioning yourself as a therapist and ought to be questioning your approaches and whether things are working or aren't working. Um, but at the same time, I think what you're speaking to is you want to feel a baseline sense of security. Right, yeah. And and that, I think, it's just it's a lot about supervision. It's a lot about like positive feedback. So when you are doing something right and you're watching it on film with your supervisor, you know, making sure that there's like at least probably 10 positives to the one, you know, negative... Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah, supervision. And, and, and when you're, when you're graduated and when you're licensed, I can't also, um, speak enough to, uh, professional consultation. Right. Yeah. yeah to get some other points of view in there. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to something we do every episode, I believe. <laughs> um, it's called ask, ask the expert. Uh, so you are obviously our expert today, whether you think so or not. And we've got a, a few write-ins from our very real and very honest and, uh, and sometimes very helpless fans um, and listeners. So the first one is, I am a therapist who works a lot with youth and group therapy. I also happen to love the game of Dungeons and Dragons. I really want to try and use D&D with my teenage clients to teach them social skills and about consequences. Is this a good idea? This comes from Wizard Therapist in Michigan. Wow. Uh, that is a very interesting question. Um, Are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons? See, I'm not. So oh, that's... okay. It's like a fantasy role-playing game where you like... It's sort of like an ongoing story or yeah. like a choose-your-own-adventure type yeah. story. Well, first of all, I love, the qu- I love the question. I love the creativity in the question. You know, I think as therapists, we're always trying to find unique ways that we can connect with our clients and especially, yeah, with, with young uh, children, I think doing something like playing games um, can, can be a great route to, um, to finding that, that connection, you know? Um, you know, I, again, I, I'm very, I'm always very cautious about cr- just giving a blanket answer. Like, yes, you should do that. Or no, you shouldn't do that. But if you had to right now, <laughs> <laughs> what would it be? If we were forcing you to yeah. do so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, if it's, if it's going to be meaningful to your client, um, then I, I say go for it. I mean, 
you know, again, this is where I think good supervision, good consultation comes in, into mind here. You know, like, are you playing Dunge- Dungeons and Dragons because you just love playing Dungeons <laughs> right? and Dragons? That's true. You're like, I really need a new group. And yeah. <laughs> these youth seem like really creative people. I mean, I would love know? to play PlayStation with my clients all day long. <laughs> so really examine your motivations more right. than anything, I think. Right, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, heck yeah. If you can find creative ways to connect to people, I say... I say go for it. You know, this is where the this is where the art comes into therapy that I think sometimes gets lost in in such a science focused um, industry. It's like, I mean, I don't know. There's probably no scholarly articles on Dungeons and Dragons with Not clients. Yet, Not there yet. Isn't. <laughs> this is actually my area of research moving like, forward. <laughs> it's like Maddie pulls up an article. She's writing. <laughs> I see you. As a, as a side note, too, I, I guess I would really love to know more about this game before really making it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to join our group? <laughs> we do play D&D. <laughs> yeah. All right, so our next question is here. Um, my therapist has a big art piece in her office that says, Just Breath. I think it's meant to say, Just Breathe, with an E, but there's obviously a typo. It makes me so angry and distracted every time I go to therapy. Should I say something? My therapist has a PhD, so I'm a little intimidated. And this is from Annoyed in Arkansas. <laughs> that is wow these questions are amazing um, our listeners are nothing if not very creative people <laughs> well yeah heck yeah i'd say for sure say something to your therapist and but think about as you say something to your therapist think about saying it from your per, you know from your perspective i suppose like like what is that doing for you and i think that's something that could be really like explored in therapy with the with the therapist you know like why does why why is that spell that misspelling of of breathe so distracting to you as a as a um, client? Uh, and so yeah, I would yeah. say. Do you have some control that you maybe need to let go of? Yes. In this therapy session. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps <laughs> you know. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that could be you know a lot of rich material that could be explored there. Um, so yeah, I say, for sure, explore that with your therapist. Um, you know, I, I think that nothing is ever off base to explore with your therapist. That's that's my own opinion. You can you should be able to explore everything and anything from the most embarrassing, shameful parts of yourself to the most, um, you know, surface level, whatever, you know. Have you had clients um, comment on stuff that's in your office before? Like, why do you have that on the wall? Or like, what's that thing on the table or whatever? Yeah. 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 So we talk a lot in, um, you know, in, in therapy groups or whatever about uh, stimulus values and so, yeah, anything that's either in your office or maybe something that you're wearing can, you know, be a stimulus value that the client then perceives their own way and, and that creates meaning for them their own way. So, for example, I wear a wedding ring, right, in session. So um, now, now, thankfully, uh, you know, gay marriage, the, the, you know, the laws have changed and, and people are able to, to get married now. But back before, you know, that was a thing, it, it was a shining example oftentimes of being heterosexual and of also having a you know a life partner now i'm not saying that you can't wear a ring and you right. know but in your, some ways yeah. i'm sure it could have like signaled some privilege or some sort of like yeah you know disconnect there find the mildly awkward podcast on itunes subscribe for new episodes dropping every monday and leave us a rating and a review Okay, so something, another thing we like to do on our podcast a lot is do something called deal breakers, which usually is in the context of like romantic relationships, like all mm. things being equal, would you still date this person? <laughs> Obviously, probably not appropriate to bring into the therapy episode, <laughs> you know, the countertransference deal breakers, no, that's terrible. Um, 
So basically we've modified it a bit and say, you know, all things being equal, if this was something going on with your therapist, would you still see this therapist? Yes, that's, I like it. I yeah. like it. So, okay. Um, the first one is they come into every session in an 80s wear, big feathered hair, oversized pantsuit, and big glasses. <laughs> Not a deal breaker. What? You Not a deal breaker. That That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would definitely be uh, pretty surprised um, <laughs> at first, but um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'd give them a shot. I'd give them a shot. They and might see... know their stuff, right? Maybe yeah, they old could. School, but... <laughs> they could be awesome. <laughs> yeah, okay, know? what if they're like. 24, like, fresh out of grad school. <laughs> That's how they dress. Like, if I started dressing like that the first time I had a client, would you take me seriously? You know, well, if, if I were uh, your supervisor or yeah, something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if I were your supervisor, I probably would maybe encourage you to think about what your outfit okay, choice Brent, is. you just said that you would see this therapist. If As you client, were my though. supervisor, do you think you would tell me to change? Um... Yeah, you know, I think I would. I might encourage it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so. I think I might. I might be like, hey, you know, what? What do you think this is doing to, you know, to your relationship with the client? Is is it becoming a distraction from, <laughs> you know, from other <laughs> yeah. things going on? That'd but be not tough. Not as a client. Not as a client, it wouldn't be a deal breaker. How about for well, you? Would it be a deal breaker for you as a client seeing the therapist like this? Probably, yeah. But it would be really funny. Like, I would love to be there in that session just to experience it, but I don't think... In like, the one session I, that you Yeah, I could not take them seriously after that. Well, let, let me say this. If I saw that person on um, on a website and they were dressed like that, I'd be like, I'm not going to go see that therapist. <laughs> so there is that part of it. But if I'm thinking, like, I don't know really what I'm getting, I'm going into my first intake and they walk they in... The right, and they And they're wearing this, this ridiculous outfit. I'm not going to be like, all right, peace out. <laughs> right. You know, I'll give, them, I'll give them a shot. But it wouldn't be my first choice. So the next one is they see you outside the session and introduce you as the client to their friends. Oh, that's a that's a deal breaker. That's also oh. kind of an ethical deal breaker yeah. too. That's a, I would be so pissed. I, you know, even though I'm I'm super open about sharing my therapy, that's that's my that's yours to share. It's yeah, that's mine to share. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 just it's something that I feel like that's on me to to disclose and and let me let me do that. You know, um, that that would be a for sure deal breaker. Yeah. I was gonna say, and to be clear, I'm pretty sure that's a super an ethical issue too right yeah i don't think so it's not a deal breaker for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you're you're just you're just butchering confidentiality (laughs) like it's just it's for the newbies we're we're challenging them yes it is unethical (laughs) yeah (laughs) so the next one is they are late to every session yeah um well you uh, so can i can i like ask them about like what's going on and yeah yeah, because i I think that'd be the first thing i want to do is be like Hey, I noticed you're late to session. You know what's what's going on here? Should I come? Should I plan to come at five oh five or five ten or five fifteen, and kind of see what the response is? Um, you know, I think I think within reason, you know, of, of a few minutes or something like that. I think that as a whole, I, I really pride myself as a therapist, and and I would hope others would would follow suit in, in being on time um, to their sessions. Um, but if you're just running late because I don't know, bad time management or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's that's a deal breaker to me. I want to be I want to feel important. I want to feel valued and and time is valuable. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the next uh game we have here. It's called Old School Psychologists or Pop Culture Icons. So we're going to give you a bunch of quotes. Uh we'll give you one quote at a time. 
and you're going to say whether or not it is a psychologist or a pop culture icon. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so, so the first see. one is follow that will in that way which experience confirms to be your own. Psychologist or pop culture icon? I'm going to say psychologist. Correct. That's correct. It is Carl, is it Jung? Jung. 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 Did you know that quote? Um, I did not, but I was trying to picture if Justin Bieber would say that. (laughs) 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 We did not put enough Justin Bieber quotes on. I was kind of hoping you would just like lift up your sleeve and you're like, yeah, I know who that is. How about this one? I love being. There's so much wisdom in it. You wake up in the morning and you think, hey, isn't it just great at being? I'm going to say pop icon. That is correct. It is Gwyneth Paltrow actually said that. Yeah. One of her least offensive quotes that she has. (laughs) So the next one is, I want people to see me and read me and think about sex. God, it feels like a that feels like a trick question, but I'm. uh, Is it? I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go that it's not a trick question. I'm gonna go with pop icon. It is not. It is Dr. Ruth Westheimer who used to do therapy on TV. Wow. And can can you say the quote one more time? (laughs) (laughs) She was a sex therapist. Okay. I want people to see me or read me and think about sex. Oh, I see where she's going with that. Okay. I was like, (laughs) something sounds really unethical about that. Right. I know. There could be some issues. How about my career is based on openness and honesty? Sounds like it could be a lot of different people. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'll go pop icon. That is correct. And that is actually Kim Kardashian. Okay. All right. And she's nothing if not very open, I guess. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Follow your passion, follow your heart, and the things you need will come. Pop icon. It's actually doctors getting know. It's Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Doctor Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. Nothing in life is promised except death. Ooh, that's got to be a therapist. That's Kanye West. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man, I was going all existential with this. What was the quote again? Nothing in life is promised except death. Oh, what album is that from? I have no idea. I is just it, know it's Kanye West. Is that? A, I mean, because that's a song lyric, right? I'm sure. I don't know. See, with Kanye West, it's hard to tell sometimes, like, song lyric, or if you just say this in an interview, right. and the person just sat there going... Okay. Can I know. just can I just say that this will keep me up at night if that was a Kanye West song lyric and I didn't know it? <laughs> He's one of my favorite a artists. Big, a big fan, yeah, I'm yeah. a huge fan. What is your favorite Kanye West album? Oh, College Dropout, hands really? down. That's that's probably my favorite. It has to be my top five favorite albums of all time of any musician. I could listen to that album on repeat for the rest of my life, and I think I'd be oh wow very happy. Okay. That's... I'm more of a fan. What's your favorite? I was gonna say my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's a good one. It's hard to choose, though. This has become a Kanye West episode of this <laughs> podcast. He does an amazing song with uh, with Justin Vernon from Bon Iver on uh, on that album, I think. Oh, yeah. Is that... Or is that 808 Heartbreak? No, no, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a Bon Iver yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Into, collaboration. Into the Woods. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Also good. Who's Kanye West? <laughs> <laughs> I was never really good at anything except the ability to learn. I'll go psychologist. It is Kanye West again, Oh, Brad. my gosh. Ah. <laughs> so I think we've uncovered here. Kanye West maybe missed his calling. He did. He missed his call. He, you know, he's got so many talents, right? He, he would probably claim psychologist as one of them. His, oh, now he can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we made it official. Have a question? Suggestion for a topic? Or maybe you just need some mildly awkward advice? Shoot us an email at mildlyawkwardpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
we want to know if you've seen a shift in therapy or needs or maybe just outreach in general in terms of because of what's happening in our country. So maybe oh, after yeah. the, oh, the election. Year. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you said that right away. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are scared, um, particularly a lot of students um, who are scared because of our current administration. Um, you know, even thinking about you know DACA and 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 what that that oh, right. yeah. yeah. I mean, how many students are impacted by that and are now fearful for their futures here? You know, let alone you talk about the level of of sexism that you see. I mean, isms all over racism. Um, oh gosh, isms all, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we're, we're in this really unique and awful time where things like racism and sexism are just being like blatantly exposed. And in, in one way, maybe, maybe that's helpful so that we can really, I don't know, try to change it versus having it be hidden. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, it's, it's so devastating to, to people, um, like, you get that sense sometimes that people say, well, you know, we're just, you know, he's just saying what everyone's thinking, and you have to take a pause and think, are people thinking this? Really? Right. Like, is that a thing? But, right. yeah, right. that's scary. I mean, when he said the comment about grabbing women by the, you know, yeah. uh, that that was something, how triggering, how, how freaking triggering is that for someone who has been sexually abused, who's been raped? Unbelievable. And that's the person that we elected into office. Uh, it's, it's. It's hard. It's um, it's hard as a, as a therapist because you know, regardless of my political views, like pe- like I, you know, my mo- a lot of my family are conservatives, and um, and I and I can respect the conservative party, um, some things, you know, more than others. Um, but you know, I, I have a I have a respect for you know differing opinions, and but but it's becoming at least with this election, it's it's becoming just really hurtful. It just hurts a lot of people. You, know, you look at what happened in Charlottesville and right. how many clients that, that I know who are just hurt by what's going on. They want mm-hmm. someone to speak out against this more strongly. You think what's going on in the NFL right now and all of these, you know, tweets and, and that are being sent by the president, how now the message is getting completely lost about racial inequality. Uh, and, and that to me is the, the saddest thing. And, and yet absolutely we see an increase in, therapy needs because of it um and and it's it's serious stuff too i want to say like this is really really affecting people and hurting people um and and so i i I don't think i would take that you know too lightly it's not simply like this person disagrees with me it's no this person is against my identity right there's something that like the person one of the most powerful people in our entire country is has this point of view that directly is going to put me in danger or yeah. people I love mm-hmm. in danger. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. especially it's if you're level. a minority. Oh yeah. 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 Cause it's not even about, I mean, it is about being against, like, but there are tons of people, you know, who are like against your views, but it's more just like he's attacking them and mm. now projecting to mm-hmm. a lot of Americans that it's okay to yeah. attack and abuse yes. other people because of that internal thought process or whatever. So absolutely. The reason why I bring it up is because one of the millennial headlines that we found for this week, we tried to find an article that is relevant to what we're talking about. And one of them says millennials are flocking to this online therapy startup since Trump's election there. They grew 70 to 80% faster than they originally projected because of the shift in November. Yeah. 
and that there was a spike in female, minority, Muslim, Jewish, and LGBTQIA customers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and most of them being millennials, average 34. But it's just like this idea that, <laughs> like, there's a reason why that's happening, and it shouldn't go ignored. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just, it's wild. It is. It is. And to hear those statistics, just it makes me angry. You know, I, yeah, I, we certainly see it on our end at Acacia. There's no reason that the, the leader of our country should be, you know, responsible for an increase of right, 70%. Right, the cause of, of people needing, you know, more help like yeah. that. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. We're kind of running, I guess, to the end of our time a little bit here, but yeah. I just wanted to end with kind of asking you if there's, like, a brief message that you could give people about, like, if someone maybe is trying to start therapy or, or getting into accessing some mental health resources, what is some advice you can give people? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess the first piece of advice that I would give is like, know that you're not alone. We have a, we have a tendency to sometimes kind of go inside of ourselves, right? Like, and, and kind of close ourselves off to, to feeling maybe, maybe it's a sense of shame about having, you know, some sort of, some sort of issue in our life or feeling depressed or feeling anxious. Um, you know, I think just knowing that they're not alone, that there's, I mean, we see so many students of so many different shapes and sizes and and issues and, you know, everyone has a valid purpose and a valid reason for coming in, um, to get counseling. So have some confidence in yourself, in your own, you know, whatever's going on for you. Um, yeah, like your feelings are valid. Like you can, you can feel like you can come get some help. Yeah, and, and don't forget it's a part of the human experience. Like we're not we're not robots. We're we're supposed to get depressed sometimes. We're supposed to feel anxious sometimes. And and, and sometimes when we don't get the help that we need, it can become worse. And so, you know, the first thing is is let's just go back to, you know, finding finding a safe space, find a counselor that you can connect with. Talk to some friends who have done their own therapy. Um ask them what their experience was like. Uh don't be afraid to change counselors early if you know that there's something there that just is not going to sit right with you. That's a big one I think a lot of people don't know because they yeah. think if I start therapy, this is therapy now. Like this is just what it is. And right. Yeah. It's important to feel empowered to change that if it's not clicking. A big thank you to our sponsor, Acacia Counseling and Wellness, for your peace of mind. Find them online at www.acaciacw.com. That's A-C-A-C-I-A-C-W.com. Before we go, going back to the Just Breath poster on the wall, would it be okay if it said Just Breath, but it was actually like someone's face and they were just like breathing into like the abyss? Would that be okay? Is Are you trying to make that <laughs> caption work by any chance? Yes. <laughs> I can't. No, it doesn't work. You can't do that. <laughs> so it's just breath, and then someone's like in the cold, and they're like, and it's like just breath. <laughs> Still doesn't make any sense. I I'm feel sorry. like that would be okay. <laughs> when you have your first office, I'm going to give you a post that says just breath. <laughs> Corby's first Please. office. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for talking yeah. to us about therapy and, and letting us pick your brain for a while here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. uh, it's actually been, uh, I don't know, it's really nice to kind of sit and talk about these things with the two of you. It's some of these things that are things that I don't necessarily think of on a yeah. very often basis. So it's, it's fun uh, to be able to talk about it. So thanks for having me. Perfect. And for the record, 
are you a millennial? I am. Okay. <laughs> I am. You know, we almost got them. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. So I was born in '84. Uh, so I think I, I think it's like 82, yeah, or maybe 83. Yeah. So you just made it. I just made it. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to stay in this for as long as I can. (laughs) Thanks again, Brett, for coming out. Uh, and thank you listeners for listening and tuning in. This is our 10th episode. So we're kind of celebrating. (laughs) Um, but yes, thanks again. I am your co-host Corby. I'm your other co-host Maddie. And uh, have a great day. Bye.